Welcome to This Joyful Life. My name is Maya Starin, joy expert and spiritual advisor. On This Joyful Life podcast, you will hear stories of people living in their joy, reclaiming their joy, while doing meaningful work in their communities. This episode, I connect with Chandelise Duster, reporter from Virginia, currently working in Washington, D.C. She shares her journey with endometriosis, chronic pain, and finding faith and joy to navigate that experience. This interview literally changed my life. When I had this conversation years ago with Chandelise, I related to what she was saying, but had not formally been diagnosed with endometriosis. Learning her story helped me understand my story. I am so grateful for Chandelise and everything that she shares today in her episode. Hi. Thanks so much for being here. I'm excited to get into your story. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for allowing me to come on and share it. I love doing this. So first of all, so for the uninformed, tell us a little bit more about endo. (laughs) It is one of those names that people, it's hard to pronounce. And even, you know, for a while you type it in on word and it was give you the red line and says that it's an error. So that kind of really kind of shows how much is really, you know, little known about it. You know, if you look at the technical aspect and I'm going to try to make this quick, but um, um, endometriosis is um, a women's health uh, reproductive disease. Uh, there is uh, nobody knows uh, where it comes from, even though there's different theories out there. Uh, They don't know exactly where it comes from. Uh, They don't know, there is no cure for it, but they're trying to figure out ways to treat it. Um, But basically endometriosis is when the lining of the endometrium, you know, that's what causes women to have their cycles, it sheds. Uh, uh, Endometriosis is when those cells that line the endometrium go to other places of the uterus and in the body or outside of the uterus and they create these adhesions. And they act as if, you know, your body is doing what it's doing, which is menstruating. Um, And uh, they do know that it is prevalent and common in young women and girls um, that are menstruating. Some some for years, doctors have tried to say that it uh, it may come from retrograde uh, menstruation, which is when they think that menstrual flow flows back into the fallopian tubes, that sort of thing. They're trying to figure out if it's a blood thing, if it's a... hereditary. I know that there's some scientists and some research that's being done to try to figure out uh, if there's a blood test that can be done to see if it's in the genes. So um, doctors don't really know a lot about it, but it affects 176 million women around that number worldwide. And about 5 million to 6 million of those women are in the United States. So um, that's about one in every 10 that may have this disease and the symptoms vary. So for, so for me, um, endometriosis, you know, it causes number one sign is very, very painful menstruation, like beyond bearable. 
Um, another uh, symptom is a painful intercourse. Um, also, you know, painful bowel movements, pelvic pain. And this can happen when you're on your period or off your period. Um, and some women don't have pain at all. And, uh, you know, there's, there, there is some technology where they say that they can see endometriosis through an ultrasound. But as far as I know, and even when I was diagnosed, there's no way you can see endometriosis in an ultrasound. There's endometriomas, which are cysts um, that doctors can detect because of the fluid. But with endometriosis, the only way that they can definitively diagnose the disease is if they do a laparoscopic surgery where they make a microscopic incision and go in and actually look at it cut it, biopsy it, and then they can determine that's officially um, what it is. And the ways uh, that they're treating endometriosis is um, the first number one thing doctors want to do is a birth control because they f- believe that, you know, the, when women don't have their cycles or the less cycles they have, that can prevent the spread. Um, there's also hormonal treatment that um, I tried, and we can get into this later, um, that I tried uh, called one particular Lupron that puts women in a menopausal state, completely puts their body in medically induced menopause. And they believe that um, that can uh, treat endometriosis. And then for a long time, doc, there was this lie that hysterectomies would cure endometriosis. I even had a doctor when I was in my early 20s tell me that if I wanted to have a cure for it, to get a hysterectomy, which was outrageous. And my mom said no. And thank God that I didn't get it done. Um, doctors are still trying to figure it out. And um, it's been, uh, it was discovered in the early 1900s. And um, it's just, this is one of those diseases that they just don't know what it is, or if they do know, they're not telling us. (laughs) But that's basically, in a nutshell, what endometriosis is. With with those kind of diseases, it's really difficult because you go to a medical professional with the hope, the sincere hope that they'll Mm -hmm. know more than you do. Um, and from your story, it really sounds like you've been needing to do a lot of your own research on the back end and be asking for second opinions, third opinions, fifth opinions. Yeah. So my story is, I mean, I mean, it's out there, it's published on our, uh, through our news organization, but, and I opened up about it a few years ago. Um, I started my cycle when I was nine years old. It was on the 4th of July. I will never forget it. It was horrific. (laughs) I had no idea what was going on. I was so young, my mom hadn't had that conversation with me, so I didn't know what was happening. Um, And so ever since then, um, my cycles were very, very heavy. Um, I went through middle school and I was fainting because I was in so much pain. I got to high school, I was very, very active in theater. I was co-captain of the dance team. And, you know, I was just really tired and then, you know, I was still having pain. So my mama said, hey, let's go to a gynecologist. I went to the gynecologist and, um, you know, he put me on birth control instantly. Um, and, you know, doctors were basically saying, oh, you, your periods, you know, some painful periods are normal because your mother and your aunt had painful periods. So it's just something that goes through the family. And so that's what I was taught growing up. And when I went to college my freshman year, I was still having more pain. And so I went to the infirmary and the doctor did an ultrasound and he found a cyst the size of a grapefruit on my ovary. And for those of you who don't know what the size of a grapefruit is, it's about that big. If not bigger, it's pretty big. It's a big thing. Um, and so I opted to have surgery to drain it. And when they went in and drained it, 
they told me I had endometriosis. That was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And I was 18 and I was like, where did this come from? How did I get this? Like, I felt like a freak because I would have a disease. And like, how do you explain that to people? Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I just went on, you know, still trying to process it. I kind of put it off because I just didn't want to deal with it. And then, uh, you know, a few years later, I had a second surgery. The doctor went in and removed everything that he saw. Um, and he also was the one that recommended I have a hysterectomy in my early 20s because I kept having pain after my surgery. And so I stopped seeing him. And so uh, in between that of doing different treatments like Lupron and birth control and different types of hormonal therapies, like it really messed with my body. And it really caused me, not only was I physically in pain, emotionally and spiritually, I felt drained. And I just felt... Um, I just felt because it was just a lot to deal with in my 20s and I was just confused and it caused me to have low self-esteem in myself and uh, the different treatments weren't working and I was just dealing with a lot mentally. Um, And in the Lupron that I was on, you know, I didn't realize it at the time. They use Lupron to treat prostate cancer in men. So once I found that out, I was on Lupron for three months, I believe, and I stopped taking it. I'm like, wow, I'm taking something that treats cancer. They say endometriosis isn't cancer, but it spreads like one and they're treating it like one. So that upset me even further. And I'm still dealing with side effects from Lupron. Lupron caused me to gain a lot of weight in my abdomen. And I know the New York Times uh, earlier this week put out an article saying that they found a relation between obesity and uh, stopping certain hormones in women. And I know Lupron is mentioned in the article, but um, the abdomen, my stomach was just so swollen and I was just retaining water. I gained at least 15 pounds while I was on this treatment for, for three months. And, um, and once I got off, um, I went back to birth control. You basically named the birth control. I've probably been on it. I've done everything but an IUD and a Mirena, basically. Mm-hmm. I've done injections. I've done pills. I've done all that stuff. Um, and and it just, there was nothing that was helping me. Either I was bleeding too much or my periods wasn't coming or that sort of thing. And um, when I went to grad school, I was still having pain. It was to the point I couldn't even sit in a chair like I'm sitting right now. It was just painful for me. And so... Once school got out, uh, right before Christmas, I went, I found me another good doctor up here who I really love. He's really great. And uh, he did another surgery and he went in and he removed it. And he told my mom, he said, I have no idea how this, how your daughter is in grad school because her uterus was completely full. He was like, it's everywhere. And he even found adhesions, which are like, they look to me like sticky glue. And it's like adhesions are like scar tissue. And he found scar tissue. So, um, you know, they also found it like underneath my ovary and I basically have stage two, it's four stages of endo and I have stage two. Um, so when I went through that, you know, it was just like, wow, like I've had three surgeries. Like (laughs) I used to joke and say that, (laughs) that, um, I look like my stomach, my pelvic area got shot up because I have like scars from the different tools that they use going through my belly button and things like that. Uh, but, uh, But it was one of the things that really struck me was it's like, wow, I'm not even 30 years old. I've never had kids. And I've been dealing with this God knows how long. So um, it it really wore on me a lot. It it, it really did. And I'm still dealing with it. But 
you know, is chronic. And then it was the pain medication. And I'm thankful that I'm not somebody who got addicted to it because I was on Vicodin for my, just for my period, I was prescribed Vicodin. That is too much. No woman should ever have to take anything that strong just for period cramps. That is absurd. And it got to the point where the Vicodin didn't work. So I didn't want to up to anything like that. So I just completely stopped taking pain medicine. I don't take pain medicine now. I may take an ibuprofen if it's too, too strong, but mainly I have a device, it's by Livia. It's like a TENS unit and that really helps my cramps and my lower back pain that I get. That's amazing. And especially that a medical professional would say, oh, this might be in your mind. Yes, I was told that when I was young, uh, when I was in high school, um, I had to go to the emergency room because my period was so bad. And the doctor in the emergency room literally said to me and, uh, you know, it may be some trauma that you're dealing with that you may want to get counseling for, for Like, what are you trying to imply? Like, I'm in pain. I'm not making this up. Where did this come from? You know, and it's just a lot of women are being told they're crazy. They're making it up. Um you know, and things like that. And it's hard to believe that this is 2017, but there are some doctors who really do say that. And even the way that they're treating endometriosis, they're going off of an old standard that in guidelines that have been set up. And it's like, hey, like, uh, you can't treat every woman the same. Every woman's body is different. So it's really, and that's a, that's a conversation that's happening now within the endo community is changing the standards of care and the guidelines for how you treat this disease. Because even though there's no cure, you can really help women and bouncing them around from clinical trial to different medicines from this pharmaceutical company to the other one. That's not helping and it's causing even more problems because not only am I dealing with endometriosis now, I'm dealing with side effects of stomach pain and headaches and that sort of thing, because what you put in your body, it doesn't just leave. It absorbs into your tissues and things like that. So, And to recommend a hysterectomy to a young person is extreme. I mean, even to um, an, an older person who's like had opportunities to live their like majority of their life and maybe have children if that's their yeah. choice. Like, mm-hmm. And even like, you know, historically, like the hysterectomy was to resolve hysteria where it was like, yeah. Oh, like you're hysterical because you're yeah. a woman and you're having, you know, a woman's experience of your body. So we're going to just mm-hmm. remove yep. that female organ. Yep. What? Yep. That's what they did. That's what they did. And, you know, I had never really thought about having children. I was very, you know, wanted to focus on myself and now that I'm older I have, you know, a niece and everything who's young. Like, I would love to have kids. And so now where I am in my treatment is um, preserving my fertility at, at this point. That's what me and my doctors are focused on at this point is trying to preserve that as long as we can. Because one of my doctors made a good point. He said, if you're having problems with your cycles in your early 20s, how do you think your body's going to react if you try to get pregnant in your late 30s? It's a lot that... I have to deal with because endometriosis is one of the top three leading causes of infertility among women for many reasons. And it's, you know, I know women who have miscarried several times. I know women who have, you know, just had their uterus removed because they were never able to get pregnant. And I mean, it's possible. I haven't tried 
that yet. Um, I'm a single woman, but it's only something I have to keep that in the back of the, my mind of what I'm dealing with. And one of the things that, you know, I appreciate so much about you and I'm so inspired by you is because, um, you know, you, you're hungry for, for knowledge and you are really like willing to get this information out there to people who maybe are like just on their beginning of their path or maybe they're medical professionals who haven't been through it themselves. So they get to consider your experience as the patient perspective, um, Will you tell us a little bit about the foundation that you've organized? Yes. So um, I work with um, several endometriosis organizations because I believe we're all for the same thing. So I believe we should all collaborate together. But what really got me involved in doing my work and advocating for awareness of this disease was I went to the Worldwide Endometriosis March they had for the first year. It was in Washington, D.C. It was cold as I don't know what. I was literally freezing. I will never forget. And um, I had went with my mom and Cheryl Crow had sung. And then um, there was uh, Stephanie March was there. She's an actress. She has endometriosis. And it felt good for me to be around other women who were just like me. And I didn't feel alone. And there were women who were there that were in wheelchairs that couldn't walk because of the endometriosis. And so it really got me thinking, wow, I'm having a poor me, somebody did me wrong song. And there are women who literally can't walk and, can't even do what they love to do because of this disease. So it really sparked a fire in me to do something. And so um, I got involved with the Worldwide Endometriosis March here in Virginia. I became chapter president. Um, so I work with them. I also work with uh, the Endometriosis Foundation of America, who came to me and asked if I would love to help them teach their Empower Project, which is a wonderful program about teaching young girls and students in uh, middle school and high school about endometriosis because you know they teach it to you in school but it's like one sentence in a textbook and nobody knows what that is and um so we've been i've been doing that going to trying to go to schools and going to schools and talking to the young girls about this and some of them have never heard of it and some of them you know one girl she cried. She raised her hand in the middle of my session and she cried. She's in ninth grade and she's a cheerleader. And she said she'd been on birth control. She had painful periods. And I mean, this girl had tears going down her face. And she said, I have tried everything and I didn't know what to do. And I felt like people weren't listening to me. And now I know somebody is, I am being heard. And I really broke my heart. I'm not, I'm trying not, I'm not going to cry, but if I'm not going to cry, but I get emotional about it because I was her, I was her. And I was literally looking at myself. So that really reconfirmed for me how important it is that we talk about this so that there are young girls who don't feel alone. And, um, so then, you know, I, with me being with the Worldwide Endometriosis March, I decided in Virginia, me and a group of women that are part of the uh, chapter here in Virginia, we decided to create Virginia Hope. We really want women to know that they are not alone. So, you know, that somebody's there for them, somebody's listening, you know, talking about our experiences with different doctors and talking about um, ways to stay encouraged. And it's kind of hard to run a group and be a part of an organization when it's a 
when it's dealing with a disease where women are sick and they don't want to be sick. I mean, it's just kind of hard. Like you go to work, you're trying to care, take care of your kids or your family, and then you're dealing with this disease and some women are just so tired. So it's a small group of us, but we're trying to get it done and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll grow and you know, we do, all we can do is just do our part. And I'm great that we can collaborate with other organizations and other women that are in the community. That's so beautiful. How, you know, I'm curious, like, how do you stay in your gratitude, like when you're in so much pain? And like, or like, when you're, you know, just trying to navigate? Right. I'm gonna be honest with you. When I was really going through it with the back and forth of being on a different treatments. I was very, I went into very deep depression. I really did. I never told my family about it. I was lashing out at my family. Um, they saw where I would be upset and I had went through a really, really bad breakup. And I mean, I went and I was depressed. Like I didn't even want to get up in the morning. I lost interest in everything. Um, I just didn't feel like a woman. I felt awful. And I was raised in a church uh, ever since I was young. I have a strong background um, in Christianity. And I I was always taught to have a relationship with God first. And I just felt so lost. And um, I went to church one day and the pastor had spoke with me and um, he prayed with me. And that really made me feel a lot better. The things that he said, I hadn't even told anybody, but he just instantly knew. and. So I went through some steps of trying to, uh, and I'll share this with others too. You can, it's not just for endometriosis, but I went through some steps of how to encourage myself. But one of the first things I had to do, Maya, I had to come to the realization and acceptance of this is what I'm dealing with. I'm not, I can't deny that I have this disease. This is what I have. And so I had to, So step number one was acceptance and uh, just having a look in the mirror and just really getting deep within myself of what I'm dealing with. And from there, I went to step number two. (laughs) Step number two was forgiveness. And I say forgiveness because I had to forgive myself for being so hard on myself, for feeling like I didn't matter, feeling like this disease was all I was and that I would be nothing more than just a woman with this disease. Um, So I had to forgive myself because I do believe that we all have a purpose and that God made us flaws and all, and that we are beautiful human beings. And I had to forgive myself for denying that to myself. And then from the forgiveness, I just went to the point of, of just, reaffirming with myself of who I am. And I got down and I was reading the Bible and it was a scripture that was talking about how sometimes, I don't don't want to quote it because I might quote it wrong, but how about sometimes how, you know, if you are dealing with afflictions that it's not going to endure. And I just took it to me, you know, I don't understand. I don't know why I have endometriosis. I don't know why in my path or my assignment on this earth that for some reason I got this, but I took it to mean that it's not, it may hurt me, but it won't kill me. And I may experience a little pain, but that's because I can help other women. So, um, I realized that there was a purpose in my pain, (laughs) a pop or a pip 
um, purpose in my pain. And so, uh, or actually that sounds like him. (laughs) (laughs) Purpose in my pain. And uh, from there, I just started, um, once I realized my purpose and my pain that I was dealing with, I just, and I still get depressed. I'm not going to lie. Like there are moments where it hit me or I have a bad day or I'm in a lot of pain. I've had that recently, you know, that I'm dealing with it. Like I just get so down. I can't be hard on myself. I can't, um, because at the end of the day, I realize that even though I'm in pain today, this is not how my life is going to end. This is not how God designed my life to end. This is not all my life has to offer. And even though it may be hard for me, there are other things that are important in my life, like my family. There are people who love me and, um, I have to pull myself out of it and be like, wait a minute, remember who you are, remember who God created you to be, remember who your remember what your purpose is, and that has helped me. And then I also had to love to learn my I had to learn how to love myself because I didn't. And I realized that by me feeling that way and letting these thoughts in my head that aren't true about myself manifest is because I didn't love myself. And um, that helped me find my inner strength and to go forward and and it caused and then the last thing I had to remember I had to do was talk about it and to because I was ashamed a lot of women are ashamed that have a disease like this if you look at the symptoms you know women don't want to talk about it and I felt ashamed I felt embarrassed but then I had to realize that there's nothing for me to be ashamed of it's nothing for me to be embarrassed about and I need to talk about it so you know, here at NBC, uh, you know, I pitched the idea of telling my story. The Today Show loved it. And they said, you know, well, you don't have to if you don't want to. Uh, it's up to you. But we think it would really resonate with a lot of people. So I wrote it. I was just honest. And uh, they came back later and told me, hey, your story has reached over a million people on Facebook. <laughs> um, and that was just Facebook. And um, there were people who were hitting me up. They were like, oh, do you know you're trending? I was like, wait, I'm trending. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know I was trending. Um, and I wasn't expecting that. And I was worried about repercussions of, you know, getting backlash from my employer, you know, being so open about it, which NBC is in no way, shape, or form like that. They've been very supportive. Um, but it just really opened my eyes to, wow, you know, even as a journalist, you know, I, my mantra is, you know, being transparent and relating to people, sometimes you have to tell your own story. And in a way it was therapeutic for me to open up and talk about it. And some people came back at me and was like, oh, you let the whole world know your business. And I'm like, well, technically my business is the world's business because this affects 176 million women. Um, and there are other women who are not, you know, that feel alone. And uh, there was a big period when I first got started of women who, Every time I looked up in our group, uh, our groups on Facebook where somebody had committed suicide from pain with endometriosis. And I had even seen women who had posted that, you know, they didn't want to be there anymore. And a bunch of us would jump in and reach out to the, somebody on their friend list and let them know. And some women got mad and at us or whatever. But, um, you know, it just really hit me like, whoa, this is really a problem. And even... Christiane Rose, her story was written years ago by a local newspaper about how much pain she was in and how she went and took her own life. 
this is a serious problem with women and it's beyond the pain or just having a bad period. It causes depression because your body is fighting so much. It mentally weighs on you. So one of the things I had to do by me coming and just releasing all of that, that has really given me hope. I'm happy. Um, I am concerned that, you know, there were thoughts that no man would want to have anything to do with me because I'm dealing with this disease, but I can worry about that. I'm like, well, you know, that's your choice. That's your choice. That doesn't take away from who I am. This disease is not who I am. I am so much more than that. This is just something I'm dealing with. And quite frankly, it's temporary to me because they'll find a cure one day if they haven't already found it. So that's just how I'm able to keep hope. And it's just one of those things I, I look forward to tomorrow. I have hope because I know that this is not going to last forever. So I constantly have to remind myself of that. I love, I love what you said about um, responding to folks who are like, oh, you let the world know your business. Um, in, in my culture, like you don't let everybody know your business. And so that was definitely something that I was taught as a child, like keep it to yourself. Um, but something that I've learned as an adult and like through, you know, through learning about mental health is that, uh, when you're carrying your burden alone, it's very, very heavy, but when you share it, you know, you can divvy it up and it's like, it's heavy. Like you're still going to have to, you know, go through your part and do your work. But the aloneness factor and the isolation is what really like tips people over into that like life-taking depressed mm-hmm. depressed state. Yeah. 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 It's it, it happens, it's more common than people think. And um and it's a lot of people, you know, just by me working here or that I have met or ran into, and they're like, Oh, I read your story. I have that too. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, you know, that's crazy. And, um, you know, just women, you know, just being able to know that, hey, somebody out there is dealing with what you're dealing with. And I always have my, you know, my doors open if anybody needs to talk about. I know how it feels. And, in the, you know, and I can say this as a black woman in the black community. I've always said this. A lot of black women, we don't talk about our reproductive health like we should, because like I told you, my aunties told me, oh, well, your grandmama had really bad periods and oh, girl, you fine. You know, they don't encourage a lot of times the whole, oh, you need to go to the doctor and really get that checked. And black women are just so used to, um, you know, just going forward, doing doing their day-to-day chores, being the strong black woman that they don't really, some of us don't really take time out to um, do self-care and to really pay attention to our bodies when it's trying to tell us something. And um, whether it's endometriosis or fibroids or breast cancer, um, it's, this is a conversation that needs to happen. And I mean, I'm not going to go and give a breakdown of how many, you know, whether endometriosis affects black women or white women more. I mean, it's just the bottom line is it affects all women. I don't even see a direct correlation of or it affects one group more than another. It affects everybody. And I just hope that um, by me being a black woman that some black girls that are going through pain or start asking themselves questions. Well, you know, I might want to go see about this. And some of us have been in pain so long, we just are conditioned to think that is normal. And by the time, you know, some people finally go to the doctor, it's too late and they have to get a hysterectomy. So, um, you know, I just want women to know that 
uh, it's okay to talk about it. And if people don't understand you or if they're not trying to understand, then you need to make a decision of, do you want these people to know or be in your life? Because you need a strong, solid support system with this. And I think that's something that's really good about the endo community. I've met hundreds of women who I call my endo sisters and they message me and we talk and, you know, just about anything. And I feel like I've known them forever. And it just feels good that if, you know, my mom or somebody isn't there to listen when I'm having a problem, I can call somebody on the phone and we Mm -hmm. can just have girl chat and I don't have to feel embarrassed. Oh my God, I just told them what's going on with my vagina today. (laughs) It's it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good. (laughs) And if we, if we, as folks who have, you know, these reproductive organs would shift culturally the idea that like, it's not embarrassing to have a uterus. It's not embarrassing to have a vagina. It's not embarrassing to have ovaries. It's not embarrassing to have a complication with any of these organs that like, if that was the paradigm shift, which I'm pushing for, which you're pushing for to say, Hey, like we can talk about this. Um, then self-care wouldn't even have to be an afterthought like it would be the thought it would be like okay like this is my body this is my vessel this is my vehicle in this life like how can I care for it so that I can have the best life that's available to me right I told I totally agree with you I totally agree and and I mean and I've seen recently that there is more conversation that's being done around endometriosis, especially in the news. I was really happy that, you know, there was a story about um, endometriosis that made nightly news. I was like, ah, you know, you guys, I was like, good job, guys. <laughs> I was like, good job, guys. Um, so you see it a lot more in the mainstream media. It's being talked about more. And even when I had shared my story, you know, with the Today Show, you know, it was shared across all of NBC News platforms. I was going through and reading on Facebook all the women I saw posting was like, oh my God, me too. Oh my God, me too. I went through this. I went through that. And I'm like, if all these women are sounding off in hundreds and hundreds of comments about going through the same thing, that should let doctors and researchers know this is a problem. And, um, you know, I believe education and awareness is one of the first steps to finding a cure. Um, but I, I question and I ask how much longer are, or how much and how many more times are we going to have to have these marches and call, you know, representatives on the phone and call doctor's offices and start these campaigns before something is done? You know, it's just that question in the back of my mind, but you know, I don't think women should be silent anymore. That was a big model of ours was we are not going to be silent. We will not be silent. And um, I think by more women, you know, talking about it, and even with the Worldwide Endometriosis March, every country, well, not every country, a lot of countries were having their own marches about endometriosis. And it was so empowering. And it was really emotional to see, like, this isn't just happening in the United States. This is happening in London. This is happening in Paris. This is happening in Africa. This is happening in, you know, Japan and other places. And it's just really amazing to see that this is like a global movement of awareness. And so I'm excited to see where it's going to go and where we'll be five years from now. I'm really hopeful. Like I have no doubt in my mind that they will be able to figure that, that this will be figured out at some point. 
I mean, and especially because like the medical industry is changing. It's not a man's world anymore. Like there are um, doctor, like female doctors, female like researchers, like, you know, who like are coming at it from a personal perspective who have attachment to this, um, which I think is really good because it means like, okay, like we have people who on the front lines of making these like medical discoveries, you know, not that we want more people to be experiencing this, but that like the positive thing is, is that they, if they are that like, we're, you know, group think, um, looking for solutions. Right. Your background, it's like, what a divine placement to have a journalist, like be experiencing this, like, you know, to be like, you like have, a divine placement that like you get to be like in the newsroom that you get to share your story that, you know, you're like not an outsider. Like you have a seat at the table, like you get to be this voice uh, to be this professional. Uh, it's like, I really just think that that's so beautiful. Like we don't understand God's plan or God's timing. Like I don't think we're meant to, but I do believe in service and saying, okay, like you gave me this, like you put me here, like I'm going to do it. Right, right. I, and it's, it's, it, it, it's really weird um, being where I am. And some people may look down upon it and say, oh, you know, well, as a journalist, how do you go and have your group and go out and do this work? I said, well, there are a lot of journalists who have causes that do different things with different organizations. I mean, but um, that's what we do. We tell stories. We tell other people's stories and we spread information and uh, we try to seek the best evidence of the truth. And that's one of the things I do. Um, I don't have to go and blare my story over horns, you know, all the time, but my story is out there for people to read. It's published. And if anybody has questions, they can ask me. And if I want to write another story, you know, regarding women's health as I see fit, or as I see the importance of it, I will. Um, but I'm just glad to, to be a part of starting that conversation, or as I should say, keeping that conversation going. And there's a lot of journalists who have endometriosis. There, um, there's a woman over at Fox News who um, she wrote her story earlier this year. And, um, you know, so it's not just me. It's, it's a lot of us out there. And it's not just Lena Dunham. It's not just Padma. There are other women, you know, if they choose to open up and come forward, they will. And if they don't, that's fine. That's fine. Just as long as they know that they got some sisters, they got their back. (laughs) (laughs) What what would you say to, um, like, to your younger self? Like, you know, to the, like, from this perspective, like, I mean, now you've, like, you've been in it, like, since you were nine years old. Like, what would you say? Um, to her or to someone else who's like just just finding out? I've thought about this a lot and I get teary-eyed when I think about it because it was a lot to deal with at nine years old and going through high school, dealing with peer pressure and then just dealing with, you know, missing so many days of school and having to go lay in the health department's, you know, office because your cramps are so bad and you're missing classes. But I would literally say to myself, um, keep your head up. And I would say, um, it's okay. It's okay to cry. Um, You don't have to put on the the strong face all the time. And um, 
you have people who care about you. Um, you're not alone. Um, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. And it's going to be some days where you feel like you are not going to make it, but you are going to be okay. That's what I would, I would say. And, um, and yeah, and I would just say, you know, I know it's cliche where they say, keep the faith. And sometimes you feel like keep the faith in what I don't have anything to keep faith in. Um, but I would say, keep faith in yourself, um, that you will get through this and that, um, you know, every day that you take a breath, as long as you're breathing, you still have a purpose and you still have time on this planet. Your work is not done. So I would just tell her, you know, keep pushing forward and, um, you know, don't listen to the bullies and listen to what other people have to say and just love yourself because you're beautiful and you were beautifully and wonderfully made. That's Mm -hmm. what I would say. And that would feel really good to hear too, you know, like, especially the part about, you know, not having to keep a strong face all the time, because especially when you're going through something that other people don't understand, um, they'll like, you know, they want to cheer you up and like the pressure to be cheered up when it's like, not even on the table. It's like, just let me be where I'm at. Like, I won't be here forever but I need to honor this experience. I need to fill this right now. Right. Cause some people feel like, you know, well, you know, friends try to be supportive and they're like, Oh, you know, well don't cry. And it's like, that's therapeutic. You know, you are able to share tears for a reason, whether you're happy or sad and women, I don't think it's good for us to bottle those emotions. And so I shed a lot of tears. I'm not going to lie to you. I had puffy and baggy eyes. I, I, you know, I drove just about drove my mother crazy because she felt helpless. She didn't know what to do. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, we are human and, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, believe in God. And, you know, I do believe in God, but God also knows that I'm human and that I go through things. And there are times where even when I pray that I, I'm so upset and I'm so hurt. And I'm dealing with so much that I don't even know the words to utter out of my mouth. All I can do is just say, God, I need help. And I'll just cry. Cause there's not, I mean, he knows there's nothing else that I can, I can do, but we have to get those emotions out and it's okay. And you're not, that doesn't mean you're not strong. It doesn't mean you're a crybaby. It just means, you know, just you're human. You're human. That's what it is. Well, especially I think it's so funny, too, from um, when people try to, like, bully you with the God perspective. Like, you need to be cheerful because if you believe in God, you'll be cheerful. And it's like, yeah, like, we know that, like, the presence of God is, like, with us. But we also know the story of Job. Like, Job is this part of the Bible where, like, this guy has been through it. Like, he lost his family. He lost his house. He he loses everything. And you know what? Job isn't sitting there with like chin up, like, you know, passing out food, like being, you know, he is mourning. He's like ripping off his clothes. He's like on the ground, like in sackcloth and ashes. Like talk about a scene. Like this man is making a scene because he is mourning. And like that story, I think, gives us permission to just feel what you're feeling. Like God doesn't expect you to just take it on the chin. It's like, okay, this is hard. 
it has a purpose, but it's hard and that you can respond to that. So yes, have permission. <laughs> yes. I had to give myself that permission and let myself know that it was okay. Cause you know, I tried to, cause I noticed that when you're dealing with an illness or a disease and you don't want people to know about it, well, this is what has been in my experience. You want everybody to think everything is a okay on the outside. You want people to think that your life is perfectly put together and that you don't have any problems, but people don't know how much of a wreck you are on the inside and you put on this fake face and this fake front, like you got it all together and all that. And, you know, people want to get on here and flex for the gram and post whatever they want on Facebook, but you don't know what I'm going through when I log off. So um, people want to paint this persona of who they want people who they want people to think that they are. And so I had to give myself permission of, hey, you know what? You know, you, my pastors taught me this. You are free. The theme is free to be me. God gave you the freedom to be who you are. And I'm free to be me, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, because I he gave me that freedom. So I had to reaffirm for myself that I am giving myself permission to, you know what? I'm in a lot of pain. I'm gonna sit here and cry with my heating pad and watch cartoons and eat ice cream. I'm doing that today. And if anybody doesn't like it, fine. But this is what I need. And it's nothing wrong with that. Um, to, you know, and I believe that self-awareness, the self-awareness also helped me have gratitude and have joy. You have to be self-aware when you're going through something. It is scary to look in the mirror and really get down in the depths of your soul and look at your flaws and what you're going through and how you're experiencing things and how it may be perceived on the outside. It is scary when you really get deep down and you look into yourself, but you have to have that self-awareness and you, and that's good but you don't want to be self-aware to the point where you're constantly breaking yourself down because that's what I was doing for a while because I was thinking, and this was dangerous. I had to get out of this. Um, I was thinking, you know what? I'll just break myself down. So in case somebody else tries to, it won't work. Uh, uh-uh. can't do that. I was literally at the point where I was about to destroy myself. So, you know, I'm self-aware to the point where I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I need to do this. Yeah, I did do that. You know, I probably need to do this a little more, but I'm not going to turn it around and use it as ammo on myself. You just can't do that. So if anybody's out there, you know, with this disease or with any other illness and you are self-aware like me, don't do that. Don't do that. It's, it's, that's, that's a disservice to yourself and who you are. You don't deserve that. Nobody should do it to you. So don't do it to yourself. Sorry. I had to get that out there. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I totally, I totally relate to that. I mean, I dealt with chronic depression for over a decade of my life and it was horrible. And part of that, you know, was I definitely relate to what you just said because you're like in your own mind, you're like, oh, well, if you really knew me, if you really knew everything that was going on or what you wouldn't love me, like I'm not lovable. And the only reason I'm lovable is because you don't know the extent of it. And like that mindset was just so corrosive and so destructive and also fundamentally untrue because uh, you are lovable, like no matter what the extent of or the scope of your life has been, like no matter like what you've done or like what's happened and like 
that was so difficult for me to reconcile like with my experience. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard and it's like, you're trying to do all of the right things and then you just end up getting so wrapped up in your own head and you get confused. And, um, you know, and I felt like I was a burden to my family for a long time. I mean, Hey, getting treatment for endometriosis is not cheap. I have to literally go see a specialist. I have a gynecologist, but I have to pay a specialist copay, you know, getting ultrasounds and, you know, getting that medication. Sometimes the insurance will cover it. Sometimes they wouldn't. And thank God, you know, insurances companies don't look at pre-existing conditions anymore because for a long time, you know, some women weren't getting coverage for having endometriosis. So that caused them to suffer. So I felt like I was weighing my family down, you know, financially, like, I mean, I can understand if I had debt because of credit cards, I'm dealing with debt from medical bills. Like, I'm like, I like, are you kidding me? Like I'm constantly paying to go to the doctor or paying for medication. And it's infuriating when you pay a hundred dollars for some medicine and it doesn't work and you have to throw it away. You don't get a refund when your medicine doesn't work. Yeah, I wish it worked like that, but it doesn't. So, you know, you're wasting money and it was just so much. And I had to let, and my mama sat me down and she was like, we're your family. We love you. We want to help. How can we help you? And I'm blessed that I have family that are like that. Um, but there are some people who don't and they're carrying all that weight on their back on their own. And women don't know where to go or what to do. And it's just so stressful. So, you know, endometriosis, it affects more than the body. It affects the mind. It affects your spirit. It affects the work you do. Um, it affects your wallet. And, um, you know, and even though when I come to work, you know, I'm covering a lot of things, I'm going out and doing stuff, you know, I have to accommodate my body to prepare for the day. Uh, and, and I have it good and I have a system that works for me. But there are some women who had to quit good paying six figure careers because they can't physically get up out of bed and go to work. And so I am grateful. You know, I had to find joy in that gratitude and even though this is a bad thing, I'm grateful that it is where it is right now. And I just went to the doctor last month, um, you know, just to get checked because I was feeling some pain in my ovary again, just to make sure I didn't have any cysts. And there are no cysts there. You know, there are no fibroids, thank God. So, you know, I don't have another cyst, but I found my gratitude in that, you know, it could be much worse because there are women who are going through it much worse and got it rougher than me. And one of the, you know, to your point about women um, needing to like resign from work that they could be doing and could be doing well if they were empowered to do it differently, like at a different schedule or maybe like work from home. And I think that that is another paradigm that, you know, women entrepreneurs are shifting, like women professionals are shifting, yes. saying like, hey, like we can do it, like we can do it. We just need to do it in a way that honors our body and that honors our experience. Um, and like we, we the ones who like don't have the luxury of fitting into this like, you know, patriarchal system are the ones right. who are having to shift it. And, you know, fuck yeah to like anybody who's doing it and creating, um, creating their own system. I mean, I really struggled with, um, not doing the amount of work that I was required to do in my last career, but in the way that I was required to do it. 
And now that I can honor my body, like I'm able to have a thriving career doing something Mm -hmm. else. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, you know, a lot of companies, um, I mean, you got to think about it. How, as a woman, how can you just go to your manager and say, oh, I'm not coming in today because I'm on my period really bad. Like you can't, you know, you can't just, you know, especially if it's a man, they're going to be like, uh, okay. You know, and how many women are able to have a employer that is understanding enough that, you know, even though legally they're not allowed to hold that against you, but still they kind of be like, you know what, she's slacking in her work. You might want to replace her. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there are a lot of women who don't even speak up. And that's why some women don't open up about endometriosis because they're scared that it's going to come back and bite them in the behind. And, um, it shouldn't be that way, but there are good employers. And I have to say NBC is, great. NVC is really great. I'm really blessed to be here um, to have that support. But there are some companies and some women in management and places that don't. So you're not, there goes into the self-care part. You can't even, you know, really give the self-care you want because you're always constantly worried when you're working in the back of your head, like, oh my God, I'm in so much pain. I couldn't call out today because I've used so many of my sick days or, oh, I can't call out today because I have to get paid. I need this money. And it's really, really hard. And hopefully, um, you know, that'll change. And But we are starting to see a shift, like you said. And there are women that are going out and doing their own thing. And, you know, women want to work. We want to work. We want to provide for our families. We want to go and have things and be our own people. But, you know, it's really hard to do when you're dealing with illnesses and nobody wants to, unless you're just Beyonce or something with multi-millions of dollars, nobody wants to retire in their twenties. You know, you haven't even lived your life yet, you know, Nobody wants to just, I mean, it would be great if we all could just lay around on a beach and just have money, but you know, nobody wants to just lay in bed sick all day. People want to get up and go out and enjoy life that, you know, this beautiful earth that God made and prepared for us to enjoy and to, um, you know, make something of ourselves. Uh, One of the things, some of the things that really helps me enforce my joy is not only reading my Bible, but I love Joel Osteen. I have his app on my phone and I read my daily message every day. And um, he has a book called I Declare. So to reinforce the joy, because I believe God gives us joy because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So, you know, I do daily affirmations that I read, um, you know, declaring that, you know, I am loved. I am the head and not the tail. You know, I am successful. I am blessed and highly favored. I am healed, you know, because, you know, seeing is believing, but also hearing is believing too. So speaking it to yourself, looking in the mirror, saying it to yourself, you over time start believing that. And then I have a, um, on my wall, I have quote a vision board um, that I have in my closet. And, you know, if somebody was to come in my house, you would think that like I'm plotting to go and I don't know, you would think that I'm plotting to go buy Ferraris or something like that. I don't know. You'd be like, what kind of plan is this? It's like a blueprint, really. And um, I have on there, you know, little pictures of things that inspire me, like, you know, a cure for endometriosis and certain people and things like that reaffirms my joy. So when I get really down, I go to those places and I read them to myself and I'm like, okay, because you have to it's a different day every day and you have to constantly keep reaffirming yourself and speaking to your body. So 
the more I speak positive things to my body, the more that negativity leaves and it doesn't have any place in my life. And then that joy, I feel the joy of the Lord. (laughs) You know, know, and whether, whether people are Christian or not, like you can really understand this because, um, and like, this is the philosophy that I teach is that joy is our source energy. So like joy is God's energy and your physical body is your vessel for that energy. And so when you get into your joy, like that's your, like everything other than joy is just additional. Like that's just added on story, like added on experience, like joy is your default. And so, um, you know, to say like the, the joy of the Lord is our strength, like hell yeah, because when you get into joy, you're giving your burden back. It's just like any of that story that's not aligned with joy, any of that experience that's not aligned with joy, you're saying like, okay, source, like you're the strong one here. Like you like help me with this. Like you gave this to me, like I'm giving it back. Like I'm, you know, I'm in this with you that I'm not alone. So I love that so much. I really truly believe that your body is a vessel for joy. It is. And and I believe your body also reflects whatever your spiritual energy is putting out. And that can also make us sick. So with, you know, endometriosis, if you're just constantly absorbing so much negative energy, your body is not being able to heal because it's constantly being pushed and impacted by so much negativity. Like I have never seen anybody when you're sick and you have a cold that you get healing from constantly drinking something that's going to make you sick. (laughs) That's just not how that works. So you have to have a total opposite and have the positivity. And it's hard. It sounds like it's easy, but it's hard. And you may not believe it when you hear it because some days I don't. I'm like, what am I talking about? Like, I don't feel it right now. But you you know, reaffirming it to yourself is not about feeling. It's about knowing and saying it and your body will be, will be like, you know what? That's right. Cause your own bodies were created this way. So when you speak to your body and you let it know, Oh yeah. Remember when, remember this, it causes your spirit to rise. And, um, I've, you know, I, I have my ups and downs. That's life. Life is going to hit us. But I do, when I feel that joy, I know that I'm loved. I know God loves me and I feel free and I have hope. The number one thing I have hope, that feeling of hope is there. I don't despair about it. I don't, I don't have that anxious feeling of, oh God, what's going to happen next? I'm calm. I'm relaxed. And I'm just like, you know what? I can't worry about it. And so uh, it's a carefree feeling. That's what joy feels like. My body is carefree. And we're also promised that joy comes in the morning. So yes, yes. <laughs> Right. So like, and that to me is, I'm going to get emotional, but it's like really like sleep on it that like, if you're in that like really sad place, like if you're in a scary, sad place, like, please go to bed, like just let yourself rest because your mind is going to keep going and, you know, maybe be stuck in that spiral of despair, but like, even like, even if you're in that place, just let yourself rest. Like you just, and if you can't fall asleep, like just like stay there, like in a, in a peaceful meditation, because eventually it will be morning. Like, and joy will come. It, you know, I'm gonna make you smile. Like joy comes in the morning. I think about that all the time. 
because I have a mem pen, a miniature pincher, and she's two. And uh, I really think about, she's the perfect case of joy coming in the morning. That little dog, as soon as she wakes up in the morning, is the happiest dog I have ever seen. I can literally say to her, good morning, and she goes crazy. She's kissing me all in my face. She's walking all over me, jumping up and down. And I'm like, it is six in the morning and a thunderstorm outside. How are you this happy? It is, I mean, she, it is not a day that goes by that my dog is not like this. It is just, it, I'm just like, so yeah, Joy comes in the morning. Like, I'm like, how is she? I'm like, I don't know if it's because she's just so happy. She's just a happy dog. Or if it's just because she's excited. She's excited for what? I don't know. Like, I just, I don't get it. But uh, Joy, it does come in the morning. It's something about a brand new day in the sun, you know, that really, you know, because you have a new, you have another chance. And um, our spirit, I believe our spirit recognizes that. Like, you know, God promised us that joy comes in the morning and that it's okay if you were crying last night. Just don't stay there like you were saying. So, um, yeah, the joy. I, I, I don't always feel it when I wake up in the morning, depending on how I'm feeling. And plus, I have a 12-pound dog on my, on my stomach. But <laughs> seeing her going crazy just by me waking up in the morning is like, okay, it makes me smile. I do. Um, so I'm, I'm Jewish and, um, for, for Jews who carry on the tradition, it's morning, we do morning prayers and the traditional morning prayers are an acknowledgement that, um, that the soul leaves the body when you're asleep and then it comes back. Mm -hmm. And so the soul being reunited with your physical form, like we give thanks for that. So it's like all of these like gratitude prayers about, you know, the, openings and closings in my body are working right like even before you open your eyes like um you give thanks for vision and like the possibility of sight like that you can walk and like you know and I have my own riff on that so I'm like thank you for this cozy bed like thank you for you know all these other things um but like I become that energy of your dog. I'm like, I'm so excited now. I didn't used to be a morning person, but I'm so excited now. It's like, it puts you in a good mood. Like when, like, you know, you could list your grievances, like, which is what I used to do. I used to wake up and be like, oh my God, like it's so early. And like, I have all this to do. And I didn't prepare and ah, (laughs) you know, and like that will put you in anxiety. Like if you, or if you go to your phone and you check the news, like first thing in the morning, like I have to do and like the 10 million emails I get. Right. But it's and like, I just be- like oh, Lord. <laughs> before I do that, I'm an, I'm a news junkie too. But like, before I do that, like I spend that like two or three minutes just like mm-hmm. in that, in that place of, of gratitude to be like, this is the first thing I'm going to see. Like not whatever, who said this, who said what? <laughs> One of the things, this is funny. I'll admit this because I'm just real. Some one of the things I'm thankful for in the morning, I'm like, God, thank you that my rollers didn't fall out last night. <laughs> I'm like, thank you that my rollers didn't fall off last night. I really appreciate that. So I don't have to plug up my curling iron this morning. <laughs> I can just take them down and just go on about my day. Uh, so yeah, I, I try to find amusement in something. Cause I mean, with where I, you know, with me working in, you know, national news and being a journalist, so much happening in the world and we see so much and we consume so much. And, you know, I, I don't take it home with me, but you know, just all of that, this information that's just hitting me, I have to find something to stay 
positive and to stay encouraged. And one of the ways I do that is, like I said, Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen got me through graduate school. <laughs> um, he really did. I. It was not a day that went by that I didn't read his messages or listen to his sermons that he would post. I mean, just you know, hearing things like that is just really, really, really great. And then praying in the morning. And, um, you know, I don't, I will say like, I don't have time to go to church, physically sit down in a church, but my pastors, they Facebook live their sermons on Sunday. So I'm so great. I can watch them. And then um, my pastor's wife, uh, she does exhortations on Fridays, Friday evenings, you know, going into the weekend that I'll watch that she does on Facebook, just sort uh, exhortations that work for me and uh, you know having that personal relationship and just being so spiritually open and just knowing my spiritual self has really helped a lot it has really helped a lot like I don't have to go and you know be super religious so to speak but just spiritually I'm aware and I just you know can open my mouth and just don't not feel ashamed Sometimes I'm like, God, forgive me if I'm wrong. You know, that, that you know, I, if I'm thinking this, please let me know. You know, I have to have that, you know, God, forgive me. I'm not trying to be disrespectful moments. But, you know, having that openness to know that I can communicate with the Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit like that, it feels good. It feels real good. So for anybody, whatever your religion is, you know, be spiritually open and, you know, have that spiritual, you know, care. You have to have spiritual care. Because whatever your spirit is consuming, it will come out on your face, in your body, in your actions. That's a real thing. That is a real thing. You can tell a lot by a person's spirit by how they act. That's so. It's so true. And um, and it honestly, like, it contributes to our health. Like our our spiritual energy, like, contributes tremendously, like, to our health. And um, I think part of the issue for us, like English speakers, like with illness is like the English language is very possessive. And so we'll say, yes. like, I am sick. And it's like, no, you're not like you are experiencing an illness. Right. And like, that's a, it's a shift that is, um, I think, you know, that like spirit, like God reminds us of is like, that's not you. Like that is like, that doesn't define you. Like that is your part of your experience, but like, you are, you know, beautifully and wonderfully made. What would you say to, um, to women who aren't experiencing endo, but who want to be allies, like who want to be more informed? Yeah, most definitely. You know, you don't have to have endometriosis to be a part of the movement. I mean, you know, I would say start a conversation, you know, with your friends or your girlfriends. Be like, hey, you know, have you heard about this disease? You know, this is, you know, Lena Dunham talks about it a lot and Padma. And, you know, there's a girl at NBC that's been really open about it in other places. You know, have you heard about it? And, you know, then you get on a conversation about the period and it's like, you know what? My period is really bad. Maybe I might want to go, you know, see what's going on. Um, just having that conversation um, is one way, you know to really, you know, show support. And, you know, there are groups like the Endometriosis Foundation of America and the Endometriosis Association that's been around for a long time. And, you know, Virginia Hope and Worldwide Endometriosis March. We are always open to having people go to different events, you know, and, you know, and just hand out flyers or just come and have that conversation, you know, talk to your doctors, um, you know, schools, you know, 
getting the education of endometriosis of, you know, just going and doing a presentation mm-hmm. of 45 minutes to a classroom, you know, that is very impactful. It is, it is mind blowing the expressions on these kids faces when they're like, Oh, and they have so many questions. It's like, Hey, you know, we're not telling you, you have endometriosis, but now you have the resources and the information to tell somebody who you may run across like, oh, you know what? You're dealing with that. You might have this. You need to go see this doctor or you can go to this website. Um, But yeah, even men, you know, there's a thing out there called Mendo. Uh, Men that are uh, dealing with, you know, their, their significant others are dealing with endometriosis. And, you know, that's a big thing. Men need somebody to talk to also. Like if they have a wife or a girlfriend and, you know, you know, men, they try. I mean, we love y'all. Brothers, y'all try. We appreciate you for it. But sometimes y'all just don't be on the right side of the road. Um, <laughs> they're like, you know, because some men are just like, well, can't you just take this? And it's like, no, it, it's not like that. Uh, so there, you know, there are men who, you know, having those conversations with your guy friends and your boys, you know, of, uh, you know, my wife and I are experiencing this in our marriage because of endo. They need to have other men that are experiencing the same thing that they can talk about, you know, because men, I mean, because it affects men too. You know, men want to be the, you know, men are to be providers. They're supposed to be caring and, you know, protect their, you know, their loved ones. And it's really hard for some men when they see, you know, their significant other cramped up on the floor in pain or when they faint or if they're laid up in a hospital with IVs running up their arm and they feel powerless, And so we need men who can say, hey, you know what? You're not alone. Let's have a talk about it. Um, Because nobody can relate to another man like another man who's going through the same thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's not just women. You know, we need guys. We need you, too. And uh, just having an open mind. We need men who are going to have an open mind. And um, in my past experience, um, you know, I was dating somebody who was not understanding of what I was dealing with. And even when he went with me to the doctor's office, he was very ugly about it. Oh, he was awful. Um, you know, and we're not together anymore, but um, we, we, we need men who are going to understand that, you know, we don't need you to go out and buy us roses. We don't need you to go and spend all this money. Sometimes we just need a shoulder to cry on and to just somebody to listen. And, we need a hug. We need that hug from our our man, our babe. We need him to just hug us tight and just tell us it's okay. Something as simple as that. So women, you know, if you're out there, look up the, the Endometriosis Association, the Endometriosis Foundation of America, the Worldwide Endometriosis March. Um, I mean, of course, you know, people need money. You know, there's, you know, people are always taking donations or whatever, but more than donations, we need people to help spread awareness. That's what we need. Whether it's a Facebook post, or Instagram post, or Twitter, or article, any little bit helps. That's what we need. And that's, if you want to get involved, you know, you can reach out to me, Virginia Hope. Um, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, we have a website. Um, and we're open to any ideas. We're open to any suggestions. And anybody who wants to come on board is no age. Well, you know, we're happy to have all the hands we can get on this. I love that so much. 
Um, a final question for you, and I'm really excited to hear this. What does joy feel like in your body? <laughs> joy in my body feels like it feels like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I feel free. I don't feel burdened. I feel clear in my mind. I feel happy. I'm excited. I have energy. Um, I feel inspired. Um, I feel powerful. I feel, um, I feel, I just feel good. Like, and spiritually, um, I feel good. Like, my spirit feels good. My soul and my spirit all on the same playing field.